Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today we're going to talk about something that is pretty important, really, as we continue talking about the doctrine of Scripture and how it's under attack today. We we come to something that has definitely been on um, the docket uh, for a while, really, and it's something that actually um, I've done a little bit more research on in recent days, and it's the idea of uh, a red-letter Christian. Now, this idea is that uh, people think that they should only believe the red letters of the Bible, but uh, as I've been looking into this over the last few weeks, it actually is a whole it's a whole movement. It's a whole movement of people that have a have not only an agenda, uh, but it's also a political agenda. That 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 is what we're going to uh, find out today, and it's kind of actually pretty alarming. They they want to under this movement undercuts the Bible, but they also have a uh, socio political agenda that where they want to influence people. Uh, to vote a, a, a decidedly a certain way. And uh, it's something that I think that we really need to be, really, we need to be, we need to know about this. If you don't know about this, um, maybe you're like, oh, I know what a red letter Christian is, but I don't know about the movement. I really hope that this episode will be helpful. And let me just say something at the outset, okay? My goal in doing this episode is not, or any other episode, where we talk about people and movements and ideas and think and those things, it is not to attack anybody. We're dealing with the facts as they are, and what they're stating, what they're what they're thinking. And the reason that we want to do that is, uh, a we need to understand where people are coming from. We need to understand uh, how things are are being presented in our culture, much like. You know, when we do the episodes uh, talking about statistics, these things, they show us where things are at in, in our culture and in the church. And we need to, we need to understand uh, those things. So the name Red Letter Christian, it refers to the words of Jesus, which are printed in red in many editions of the New Testament. Red Letter Christians are a group of liberal Christians whose desire is to counter the political influence of conservative, Bible-believing, and Orthodox Christians. Especially in the past 30 years, the voice of evangelical Christianity has been fairly prominent in the political process, much uh, to uh, the, the chagrin of secularists, non-evangelicals, even liberal Christians. As conservative Christians... Networked in groups like the Moral Majority, the Christian Coalition, the American Values Movement, popular figures within 
uh, liberal Christianity. They, they felt undermined and belittled and disenfranchised, and they deemed their faith to have been hijacked by the religious right. And so the framers of the, the Red Letter Movement include Jim Wallace, founder of Sojourns Magazine, Shane Claiborne, an activist and leader in the new monasticism movement, Richard Rohr, a well-known Catholic writer, uh, Brian McLaren, an emerging church leader, Tony Campolo, a popular speaker and author of Red Letter Christians, A Citizen's Guide to Faith and Politics. These are the men that desired to counter the voice of the evangelicalism of the political world. The group chose the name for a couple reasons. First, to stress that its political uh, philosophy, its political philosophy, is grounded in Jesus' teachings. A what would Jesus do kind of approach to government policy, they they think. Second, to appeal appear apolitical. And so the phrase red letter Christians avoids the political connotations of labels such as liberal and progressive. It facilitates the group's claim that it transcends politics. And so the founding of the red letter Christian movement was politically motivated, and the organization is inherently political. It supports various political uh, liberal policies and procedures and those types of things. Now, red letter Christians, they resent what they see as a religious rights fixation on abortion and homosexual rights. To them, Jesus didn't deal with those two issues, they say. And so we should not make them more urgent than other issues. Rather, red-letter Christians, what they do is they focus on political policies affecting poverty, global warming, uh, racial discrimination, the role of the military, capital punishment, foreign aid, and public education. Red-letter Christians believe that moral values should be a major subject of dialogue within the, the American political sphere, but that conservative Christians have embraced the wrong values. Rather, Christians, they seek to redefine moral values according to the interpretation of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and other red-letter passages. They plan to spread their message via websites, blogs, candidate forums, debates, uh, printed voter guides, and and the like, and on and on and on. And yet, all politics aside, there are some problems associated with the Red Letter Christian movement. The first concerns the group's open theology. They, they brought together people of various faith backgrounds uh, to be very tolerant, to be very progressive, but this is theologically untenable. The Christian faith is rooted in the Bible, the Word of God, and in the, the teaching of the church. And founders of the movement, uh, the Red Letter Movement, they include those who believe that we must earn our way into heaven and those who distrust the inspiration of the Word of God. The second problem involves the group's a piecemeal approach to the Word of God. To concentrate on certain parts of the Bible to the exclusion of others, it's unbalanced, it's dangerous. The, the whole Bible is there. It's, it's entirely for our good it's reliable, it's trustworthy, it's sufficient, it's binding on our lives, it's clear. It's the Word of God. Uh, the epistles, for example, were written to instruct us on the practical outworking of Jesus' teaching 
and are just as inspired as Jesus' own words, just like the Old Testament. We need the whole Bible, okay? 66 books. Paul's words should not be considered inferior as the term red letter implies. A third problem relates to their interpretation of Jesus' words themselves. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was not talking to write governmental policy. He was presenting himself as the fulfillment of Old Testament law. We see that in Matthew 5.17, and the Savior from all sin who would believe in him. He clearly separated himself from all political movements and paradigms when he said in John 18.36, my kingdom is not of this world. And we, we can be honest here. We can say that Jesus was neither a Republican, he was neither a Democrat, and we need political discussion on all moral values, not just abortion and not just on homosexuality. We must handle the Word of God honestly, and we must guard against those who undermine the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture and the sufficiency of Christ revealed in the Word of God. That is really, really important. In a future episode, we're gonna we're gonna talk more about the dangers of red letter Christianity because there's actually a there's a whole history uh, behind this and it goes back quite a long ways to about the 300s, uh, but that's not for today. So we're not gonna really get into too much about that. Just talking about the the movement red letter Christian movement as a whole, and then in a in a future episode down the road. We're gonna we'll get into that history for for you because it's an important history and history is vital to especially church history. It's so vital to understand. And we're we're gonna talk about that here in the coming days as well. Now, not only is the red letter movement uh, impacting the church in America, but we we have a broad audience here at Servants of Grace in this podcast, and we have quite a few people who listen in the UK, and and they are a network, the Red Letter Christian. It's coming to the UK. Uh, it was initiated there by Tony Campalo with the support of Jim Wallace. And alongside Campalo, another main contributor, as I mentioned earlier, is Shane Claiborne, a leader in the new monasticism movement. The name of the movement, it comes from the practice, in some Bibles, of printing the words of Jesus in red, as Campalo explains. During a radio interview with Jim Wallace, the DJ happened to say, so you're one of those red-letter Christians, you know, who really into those verses in the New Testament that are in red letters. And Jim says, that's right. And with that answer, he spoke for all of us. In adopting this name, we are, we are really saying that we are committed to living out the things that he actually said. Of course, the message in those red letters, verses, is radical, to say the least. If you don't believe me, they say, read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-7. through this uh, commitment is a response to two issues. The social reality of life in contemporary America and the way that evangelical leaders and Christians are all too often aligned, in their view, with the political right. And so Kampala hopes that this new movement will, will not simply take a position with these political, religious, cultural wars, but offer a nonpartisan approach that, that transcends the divide. And then he lists issues, social issues, that are of concern to them. Inequality, the environment, education, overseas, developmental aid, and discrimination. Now, you might disagree with their approach uh, on many of these issues, as, 
as you can see from wandering around uh, their site if you do. But it's worth noting that Kampala's proposal of transcending the right and left divide looks uh, not entirely clear. These are, they're going way left. And where is the mentioning of parenting and the scandal of a fatherless generation? Where is the need for a sense of personal moral responsibility? So these quote-unquote right issues also have a good claim to be rooted in Christian values. And focusing on the red letters of Jesus is the wrong way to address these problems. We need to have a whole Bible perspective, and not only a whole Bible perspective, believing that the whole Bible is from God, it's reliable and trustworthy, as I said, and it's sufficient for our faith and for our practice. But also, we need to take then a whole person approach because people are made in the image and likeness of God. And so just just only being interested in social issues, that actually isn't, isn't biblical either. Uh, now, I will say, though, one thing about that, that too often, as, as even, even conservative Christians, and I have been a conservative Christian my entire life, okay, um, I have voted, I, my wife and I, we are very conservative, not only theologically, but also in our politics, okay? I doubt that you have ever met anybody, uh, or maybe you have, that is as conservative as my wife and I, uh, theologically and and politically. Uh, and you really can't, you really, to be honest, you really can't do one without the other, Um if you're really conservative and you take the Bible to be the Word of God and you are consistent in your approach uh, to handling Scripture, uh, you're not only going to be against abortion, but you're going to want to you're going to want to see the end of abortion. And we have to be honest on a lot of these moral and social issues in the church today. Uh, too many conservative Christians are not consistent. And even, uh, uh, for example, on the abortion issue, not only not only should we be about ending it at a federal level, but in turn we should be aiming to end it at the state level. It's not enough for it to, to end with for Roe versus Wade. Uh, it's got to end, period. And it's got to end, they send it back to the states who then decide whether they're going to end abortion in that state. Uh, we have to be working in both areas, in the federal at the state, and even at the local level. That means that some of you, you're going to be politicians. And that's okay. You're not a pastor. You're not a Bible teacher. But but you know what? In the Bible, and we're going to talk about this, uh, you know, here in the coming days more, but we need, we, need, we need Christians all hands on deck in every sphere of life, uh, engaging for the good of our world and for our society. Uh, because, you know what? We have work to do. We are to make disciples who make disciples. That means that we need people in the government. We need people working uh, in mental health. We need people in every sphere of life. Uh, that's what the Reformation, by the way, one of the, the, the at the heart of the, the Reformation was the idea that our vocation, that is what we do, you know, from nine to five or during the day, it really does matter. And we can really make an impact over and against uh, it was just the, the, the pastor and the, the priests and those things doing all the work of God. Uh, no, we are all royal. We, Peter says in 1 Peter 2 
8 through uh, 8 and 9, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And that means that God has given us tasks. If you're a grandparent, you have a role to play in in your grandkids' lives, in the life of others in the church. If you're a parent, you know, raise up your children. If you're in the fear of Adam, if you're a pastor, if you're a Bible teacher, if you're a podcaster, if you're an author, uh, may your teaching be grounded in and shaped by the Word of God, the whole Word of God. And may, may it consider the whole person and address the whole person who's wholly in need of all that the Bible says. Uh, we too often minimize that unfortunately today and and we need it we need to we need to address that as well but uh we're talking about uh red letter christianity as well and the first danger with that is that detaches jesus from the jewish context by failing to read his words in the context of the hebrew bible in the old testament that jesus himself read and and one of the the refrains on the red letter website if jesus didn't talk about it why is it so important? But as, as his has never been the way uh, Christians engage with ethics, it's misleading. Contrary to the red letter Christian experiment, it's it's simply not a classical Christian practice among Catholics, Orthodox, or Protestants to put pit the words or silence of Jesus over other portions of the Bible. There's a long history of this. I'll, I'll share a little bit about it. Uh, in fact, there was a guy named Martian who sought to rip out parts of the Bible to suit his own end. And this is why, in response to this, the church put together the canon of the of the scriptures. Uh, the Old Testament was already around around this time, and we're talking uh, in the 300s. And uh, we're, this is where the canonization of the Bible came into, into play. Uh, and so we can contrast that, uh, the rather... Uh, the, the the there was a guy named Martian. He believed that the Old Testament God was you know rather nasty, uh, uh, violent, and so on and so forth. Uh, and and so uh, we can contrast that view with the the message of Jesus. And apart from anything else, it's incoherent. It's unnecessary. If you want to look for resources for a radical altern- alternative to consumerism. Uh, go look at Leviticus 25 and read the teaching on the Jubilee, as many other Christians have. And here we find a radical communitarian vision of life under the reign of God, where we do not own our possessions, but are merely the stewards of them. All of our lives are just a, a stewardship. In fact, over and over, one, next to the, Jesus' teaching on hell, he talks about money more than anybody else in the Bible. In fact, Jesus is presented... Uh, as a fulfillment of such a vision, not a contradiction to it. And the second danger of, of the red letter movement is that it de, uh, it, it does away with the Jesus of history. In fact, removing him from his Jewish theological context, we also remove him from his historical context. We treat uh, what he says as though uh, there are timeless statements of truth which, which need no interpretation. This has a similar effect to the one imposed by the Jesus Seminar that we've talked about before. They, these were a group of skeptical scholars who believe we need to recover the historically authentic words of Jesus from the layers of later theological traditions. And to do this one criterion to apply is the criterion of dissimilarity. And so we can be confident that, that something is from Jesus if it is untypical of, of both his Jewish context and the later teaching of the church. 
But this is not the way to find the authentic Jesus. It is the way to find the eccentric Jesus, and there's a difference. And by focusing on his radical sayings, the, 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 the red-letter Christian uh, movement, it does the same. And one concept c- consequence, I should say, of this common but bizarre assertion that Jesus was not particularly religious or that the main people he had a problem with were the religious people. Uh, the problem is, is that what this does to our discipleship. And, uh, and, and we need to be clear here. Our discipleship really, really matters. It matters that we're rooted and grounded in the Bible. After all, teaching, uh, after all, doctrine is teaching. It means teaching. And where do we get our teaching? It's to be from the Word of God. First uh, Thessalonians 5.21 tells us very clearly to test all things and to hold fast to what is good. And so we're not against we're not against institutions. Jesus set up an institution. He bled and died and rose for the church. Paul says in Ephesians 5 to present her blameless without Christ as Paul says the head of the church in the book of Colossians um you know we have no place to gather. We have no place to gather under biblically qualified male pastors. And so when we de uh when we when we take Jesus out of his historical context i mean you got it you got a huge problem uh we need to understand the context to, to understand the gospels some of the most fascinating things that jesus does and when you understand the context and the meaning behind what jesus is doing for example in john 4 when he travels a great distance uh the text tells us he's traveling about you know five to ten miles and he's meeting with this woman at, at noon. Well, women in that culture would have come in the early morning. They would have come in the early morning to avoid the heat. And here's a woman at noon. Well, that that stands out if you know that. And then she says, you know, she's been with multiple men. Well, then, you know, in that culture, to to that was taboo. So here's a here's a social outcast. She's a social outcast in the middle of the day, at the warmest time of the day, and you know, she's getting water and Jesus comes at that exact moment in the providence of God to meet with that woman to illustrate the story. The point of that story is that Jesus goes after the social outcast uh, and that he can save them. And he does. And then he brings the Jesus saves this woman out of that context. And she goes back to her town to tell other people and to bring them to Jesus and Jesus tells the people that come about himself. So we have to understand that Jesus, uh, the, the, the ministry of Jesus is rooted in a specific time, in a specific place, but that his death and his resurrection, yes, are applicable to all of our lives and to all of history. He came into history uh, and all of history itself uh is is shaped and defined by Christ. So if we do away with the Jesus of history, uh, we do away with history itself because Jesus himself uh, defines and gives shape to history. And the, and the third danger is that the red-letter Christian approach emasculates our theology. And, it, and it's clear even from reading, just a cursory reading of the New Testament, that the first disciples uh, attended very carefully to the teaching of Jesus. They proclaimed a good deal more than that. 
Jesus was not just someone who told us things that, that we didn't know. In his resurrection, God had done something that we can't do. That's the center, the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is a center of Peter's teaching in Acts 2. And it's the message of Paul in Acts 17. Even in the Gospels themselves, Jesus' teaching can never be separated from his miracles. The people, uh, they, he, he, if you look at, at John 5 through 12, look at all the times that Jesus is teaching. Look at all the times that Jesus is engaged in miracles. And then what you'll see is, the, and the people's response to that, the, the, especially the religious leaders, they, they were against it. In fact, the latter apostolic teaching about Jesus is presented very strongly uh, with the teaching of Jesus. So if we only focus on the teaching of Jesus, we, we are aligning ourselves with the Gnostic, the so-called Gospel of Thomas, which, which contains 114 sayings of Jesus. It's no gospel at all since uh, gospel announces good news of what God has done in Christ. And the irony of all this is that focusing on the red letters is not what we need, nor does it deliver what's necessary. In fact, one of the trending articles on the Red Letter website explores the idea that being born again is not about going to heaven. The article draws on the writing of Tom Wright, hardly a Red Letter Christian, but in fact a very renowned uh, Pauline scholar. uh, Another related article loudly proclaims, the Bible isn't perfect, and it says so itself. It's arguing against the notion that Scripture... Uh, the notion of biblical inerrancy, that Scripture is without error. But it's probably one of the worst examples I've ever seen of, of arguing against the doctrine of inerrancy. And this article suggests that because 2 Timothy 3.16 argues that Scripture is God-breathed, then it is not God. And only God is perfect, so Scripture isn't perfect. It makes no sense. So to them, we go to the Bible for wise advice, but the Bible isn't perfect. And yet, Paul's argument uh, and, and, and for example, in Psalm 19, we see that the law of the Lord is perfect. Uh, Titus 1, 2, that God can never lie. God's standing behind his word, uh, and the word of God is perfect, it's complete, it's trustworthy, it's sufficient, it's enough. And that behind it is the character of God. And they're arguing the opposite of that. In fact, the history of the church, a biblical interpret, a, the doctrine of Scripture and the history of biblical interpretation stands opposed to the red letter movement. It's it's pretty interesting. But the reason for the problem is that the writer of the that said article that I just mentioned is locked into the same assumptions as the people he's criticizing. That the opposite of an errant is errant. And so the Bible must be one of these two. But in fact, the real problem that needs to be tackled is the background of 19th century rationalism, which we've talked about, which frames this whole discussion. They, they want the whole thing to be about them. They want it to be about their, their feelings, their ideas, their beliefs, their convictions, and so on and so forth, so that they uh, can do whatever they want to. They can change the meaning of terms. They can shift what, whatever they want to say. And then they don't have to take the Bible uh, seriously then in that view on um, a wide variety of things like inerrancy, on inspiration, uh, even even infallibility and uh, sufficiency, and then the person of Christ. It's, it's no surprise then why they want to deal away with the Jesus of history. That's one of the things that theological liberals have done throughout history. They, they minimize the person and the work of Jesus, and then they minimize the role of the Bible 
And so then they can redefine pretty much everything from there. Whereas for us as biblically rooted Christians, we do the opposite of this. We ground our thinking and our lives in the Word of God because from cover to cover, Scripture tells us of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. Now, what is, what is actually needed here is not less of the Bible, Jesus' words alone, but more of it. Uh, I mean, you look at all the times that Jesus says it is written to the religious leaders. These were people that knew the Bible, and yet Jesus was having to teach them not just the spirit of what the, the text meant, but its intent, its goal, its purpose, its actual meaning. And here, these were the religious leaders. These were the teachers of Israel, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We today, we, we have a great deal of problems with biblical and theological literacy. In America, we have a huge problem. I've talked to other guys that are professors in Australia, and, and, I, and I'm sure it's, it's true in Europe and Asia as well. We have to encourage people to read the Bible personally, to study it personally, to get in the Word themselves, and then to be under the Word in their local church to biblically qualified pastors. This is what Christians do. This is, as J.A. Packer, that great theologian, said this is the normal Christian life. There's nothing unusual about this. And so if Campalo and others are concerned that, that abortion and homosexuality are taking up too much of uh, people's attention, then the answer for that is to locate these issues in the whole of the Bible and to give them due weight no more and not less, not to take people away from the Bible is what I'm saying, but to take them to the Bible. But that's not what they're doing. Kampala is wrong that the main issue for Christians in America is inequality, poverty, discrimination. The main problem here, as there and in every place, is that we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, and that's why we are in need of the redemption that only Christ can give us. Now, if some Christians twist this into a right-wing, moralistic, individualized message, then, then the solution is not to try and transcend these issues. It's to go back to the Bible. By the way, this is exactly the problem with the social gospel, which is exactly what the red-letter Christians are advocating today. The, 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 the social gospel is no gospel at all. That's, the, that's really the issue with that, the, the Red Letter Christians and the, their movement. It's all based on social justice. It's all based on, okay, we're going to care about equality and poverty and so on and so forth, and we're going to preach this message. Well, I have a question. When Jesus started his ministry, why is it that he did this very thing in, in Luke 4, and he unraveled the scroll in Luke 4 from Isaiah 61, and he proclaimed the, the good news that is found only in Christ, in himself. Why? And then you, then you, then you com contrast that with the Red Letter Movement and social justice and the rise of critical race theory and intersectionality and, and wokeism in the church. And that's what the Red Letter Christian movement wants to be about. They want to be about wokeism. They want to be about social justice. They want to be about critical race theory and, and, all, and intersectionality. And you, and you have to ask, wait, 
So that's really why you're more interested, to be clear, about all those issues. It's, it, it, it's not about the people. It's about the fact that you don't really like the fact that we stand on the Bible. Now, some people say, well, that's just being judgmental. But you know what? We have to be honest about something here, okay? It's not Jesus' statement in Matthew 7 is about the hypocritical, about hypocritical judgment. The Bible makes plenty of statements, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, not to mention Matthew 18, about dealing, if we can never judge, then, then forget church discipline. This is, this is, but that's exactly an argument that people use to not ever engage in any kind of, uh, uh, of church discipline. Not to mention uh, being discerning. Uh, being discerning is a command for the Christian. A command. First, First Thessalonians 5.21, test all things, hold fast to what is good. That, that is a command. It's in the context of a command. Uh, the example given by Paul in Acts 17.11 of the Bereans, uh, searching the scriptures to see if these things were so, uh, that example shows what it means to be well a Berean. That's what they were. They are Bereans. They searched the scriptures. They opened their Bibles. They saw what these things, whether these things were so. And that's exactly what we need to do. These things are not new that, that are happening. They, they are actually being dealt with decidedly and by biblically rooted Christians. This is, again, why we have to understand not only what Scripture says and what it means, but also that, that behind what people are, but what behind the things that people say are convictions, their presuppositions, that, that frame and shape their worldview. So these, these men that we've talked about today, they don't believe the Bible. Let's be clear about that. But they fall in a long line of people who, who as we've talked about, they, they question the doctrine of Scripture. They would rather have it be all about their feelings, all about what they think, rather than what the Scripture means, what the Scripture says. That's why when I'm on an interview, whether I'm on a radio show or a podcast or whatever, I recently had the, my book, The Word Matters, come out in August. I, my message is, is totally the opposite uh, on, on all these issues. I just want a guest to get back in the Bible. And whether you agree with every conclusion and jot and tittle, I, that doesn't bother me. I just want you to get back in the Bible. I just want you to get back reading it and studying it and meditating on it and applying it to your life and doing life with God's people because these issues are out there. And, and among others, and not only that, the church has good answers about all these issues. And so, you know, we need to stand um, not only on the, the Bible, but we need to stand on the, we need to understand the history behind these movements, behind these ideas, and that they have real consequences for our life and our godliness. Now, this, this movement is concerning, but we shouldn't be surprised by it. As Christians, we have stood on the Bible Uh biblically rooted and biblically shaped and orthodox christians have stood on the word of god since the very beginning we do not need to be moved we do not need to be faithless we need to be faithful to the bible and we need to not cower in fear we need to be bold and you know what boldness comes from a fear of god 
The fear of man cripples its legions, but the fear of God, it frees us to speak the truth and love. And that's what, that's what I, I want to do in these episodes, especially as we talk about movements and ideas and surveys and so on. And I'm going to be honest with you. You know what? It's not comfortable. <laughs> it's not comfortable to get up here and talk about these things. Uh, but you know what? We have to be clear, so clear today that the doctrine of Scripture, it really matters. You look at men like Martin Luther. He stood before the Diet of Worms, before the authority of his day. Okay? You don't get much better, higher than the, the Roman emperor. And he said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. You look at the men who have stood on the doctrine of Scripture in the history of the church, men like William Tyndale and others, and we could go on and on. Even the 70s, there was the battle for the Bible, which, by the way, hasn't ended. Because we, we, we would rather be our own authority. We would rather be our own you know, truth. We would rather seek our, and have, but we have truth in the word of God that we can stand on, that we can know, that we can grow in. And by the way, the Bible commands us as Christians because we have a new heart with a new nature. Guess what? We are commanded by God, according to 2 Timothy 3.18, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Well, friends, let me say one last thing, and then we'll wrap up. These things there are concerning uh, what's happening behind the political movement, even, in, even among religious people today, are convictions about the Bible. This is why we have to go back and understand those things and, and they reveal a lot about the state of the church. And that can be so discouraging. But you know what? Here's the encouraging news. God is still sovereign. He is still on his throne. His word, is, as Psalm 19 says, it is perfect. And it revives the soul. And Hebrews 4.12 is still true. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. So we can be faithful to the Bible. And by the way, in Ephesians 6, right? The only offensive weapon that we've been given is the sword of the Spirit, which is what? It's the Word of God. And by the way, in Revelation uh, 19, Jesus uses His Word to cut, that is sharper than any two-edged sword, to cut down His, his opponents from one end of the battlefield to the, the next just by a mere words out of His mouth. Friends, we have the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. We don't have to compromise. But at the same time, we need to be faithful to the scripture. We need to be faithful to what the scripture says. And we need to be faithful to present it in a biblical way. That is what Paul says in Ephesians 4.15 and many other texts. To speak the truth in love. It matters that we speak the truth. It matters that it's done from a heart motivated by love, from a people that, that resemble the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control. And none of us is perfect. And that's why when we do sin, when we do say things in a fleshly way, that's why we own up to it. And we eat that humble pie. We eat it. And we do so gladly for the honor and the glory of God, knowing that, and we confess our neediness, our our sinfulness. We confess that we err and make mistakes. That's a good thing. 
That shows humility. In fact, I'll just say one lap, one very last thing, and then we'll sign off. How you respond to criticism. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know what, Dave? To me, hey, Dave, you know what? You made a mistake. You erred there. Can you say a little bit more about that? Well, you said you said this, and actually that's not quite right. You, you got probably 95% of it, but you missed about just a little bit of percentage. What's, the, what's your response to that? What's your response when you hear about a major Christian leader falling into sin? Is it to examine yourself, to apologize, to repent? I can tell you what my response is. You're right. I, I want to hear a little bit more about about what I what I said, and I'll probably ask my wife because some of the time or many times she's with me. Did I did I did I miss? Did I say that? She's like, you did, you did, and I immediately own up to it. See, that's the response. That's the posture. It shows the posture of our hearts. It shows that hey, I'm I'm yeah, I was wrong. I was wrong in that instance. I was wrong in that five percent or however many percent. But it doesn't matter. The point is, is None of us is perfect, but we have one in Jesus who is. And so as we're aiming to be faithful to the scripture, aiming to even expose error, let us be humble. Let us recognize that we can make mistakes, both probably in our presentation. Sometimes we'll even make mistakes in how we say things. And we need to own up to that. We need to uh, be very clear about that. But let us let us be faithful where we've, where we've, stumbled and fallen let us repent and let us uh confess our sins to the lord he is faithful and just he is our ever-present advocate and high priest and king Uh, he is enough for us well friends i want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the equipping you in grace podcast until next monday and wednesday may god bless you and keep you Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.